um, my recording software. So okay, take your time, no worries. Yeah. All right. I'll take a sip of coffee. Okay, it's working perfectly right now. Can't be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I really encourage everyone to get a copy of the book, and I trust and trust me, you will say thank you for for it, and you're welcome in advance for that. Thank you very much, Richard Frizin. I am I am very glad that you made our time to have this conversation. <laughs> I am too, and I so appreciate you bringing up what's really important. You asked the hard questions, but you asked okay. the right hard questions. So thank you very much. This was. A very comfortable, easygoing, wonderful experience for me, too. So keep it up. Hi, Richard. It feels so great to have you on the podcast with us today. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to a very creative conversation. Definitely. I mean, I was actually eagerly waiting for the time to come for our meeting. I kept saying to myself, I can't wait to have a conversation with the author of the book, A Private Conversation with Money. Um, I was just checking on the time repeatedly, you know. Honestly, I couldn't wait for it. Now, I... I think it's necessary that people hear from you talk about real values, finding and having meaning, and an appropriate rapport with money. You know, the times we live in has seen a promotion of the current culture that is prevalent today, where there is this conflicting message about wealth and economics that mm-hmm. absorbs us so much and keeps us away from, you know, from our dreams. And that kind of brings me to the question that I want to ask you. What motivated you to write your book, A Private Conversation with Money? Well, a, a lot of issues around money are symptoms yeah. rather than the deeper issues. And what started this was uh, back in, I think, 1999, I woke up in the middle of the night. There was a voice that said, Rich, you're only worth $200,000. So I sat up in bed. My wife was sleeping peacefully beside me. There was nobody else in the room. But I realized that was an internal voice. Yeah. So I got up, dressed, showered, drove across the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco to the Pacific Exchange, where I was a market maker on the floor. And I went to the spot in the pit. There's no pits anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It used to be because I'm an old man. (laughs) Okay, yeah. There was a pit, and I stood on the very edge where I always stood. Yes. But I realized... I was done with that voice. So I went and I stood 
in the center of the pit, exactly where you could hear all the orders next to the busy brokers. Mm-hmm. And in a pit, the, the best spots are owned by the most aggressive traders and market makers. So I obviously was going to take the best spot. So the other market makers came in, and the guy who always stood there kind of looked at me, looked at the clock, started talking a little bit, and before the bell went off, he kind of nudged me to you know, say, okay, Rich, that's my spot, step aside, and I didn't. We started this shoving match. We were warned we would get a $10,000 fine if we got into a fist fight. So I stayed. And eventually, I kept that spot. Interesting. So what happened was, when I went on my own as a trader, the first year I made 125,000 a year. Then I made 150, 175, then 200, and 200, and 200. That was kind of a limit. But what happened was, I was trading a stock called Micron, and it just took off. And I made 200000 in the first month. And I made, was saying, 200000 in the in February and 200000 in March and April. That's when the voice came up. So what happened was when the bell went off, I started yelling and screaming, buying and selling. I won't yell and scream because I'd blow my microphone and blow my ears out. <laughs> but I was going to buy them, sell them. And... What I realized that $200,000 was an internal limit. So, what your question was, what brought me to write the book? Yeah, to write the book, exactly. Yeah, was if I had that internal limit, do other people have an internal limit? And so when I started building a trading firm, some of my traders would do very well. Some would do okay. But some just couldn't make it, given the same trading system the tra- and the same opportunities. So I brought in a hypnotherapist, and we discovered that they had internal limits. <clears throat> and in our current culture in America, uh, where, where, are, where do you live? Oh, I live in Africa, Nigeria. Where's Nigeria. Africa? Okay. Yes. Yes. I don't know how it is there. But in America, there's a lot of cultural pressure around wealth is evil, uh, rich people are assholes, uh, uh, greed, Wall Street, a lot of anti-wealth. And so people with a really good heart, people who care about the world, people who want everyone to do well, they absorb some of those messages from their parents, from their peer group, from their colleges and education, from even corporations now. So as a result, like me, I had internal messages. And my message was, Rich, you're not worthy of more. But in the top of that layered is messages from our culture. So I wrote the book to give people an experience of stepping into a a new money positive context. Interesting. Um, honestly, your book is a very 
captivating one. And if, uh, as a matter of fact, the title is also when I first saw the title, and uh, I was like, wow, this is a very interesting book. But beyond the title, that book doesn't uh, doesn't just have an interesting title. Richard, you provided timely, intelligent, and invaluable information and advice in that book. In fact, um, I have read really amazing reviews of your book, and I'll definitely get to share those um, some of those reviews later on in, in the episode. I have this question that I want to ask you. Why is it so hard for us to change behaviors we repeat over and over again? Why is it so hard? Because, yeah. Well, that is... you. you <laughs> You just asked the most difficult question you could ask me, <laughs> but okay. you asked the right difficult question, and that is how do we change our behaviors? We all have behaviors. I'll raise my hand here um, around food <laughs> that we repeat over and over again. And in the morning when we wake up, we'll say, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and sure enough, we do it again. Again, yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch. It's really complex, and there's a whole lot of reasons. But we can just look at one or two of them. If we look at how our behaviors are, struct are structured, we can start at the bottom with is our identity and our self-worth. For example, that voice that said you're only worth $200,000, that was right down to my identity and worthiness level. Next up is our beliefs level. Wealthy people are greedy. Money is bad. Um, if you become wealthy, you will become a jerk. Uh, the wealthy have more than their fair share. That's the belief level. Then we can go up to the behavior level. Oh, I'm not going to try too hard. I don't want to take risks. Um, I repeat the same behaviors that don't serve me. Then we can go up to the skill level, the skills we need. And then at the top is knowledge, the information that we need. So when you talk about changing behaviors, the, one ch the change that I had was all the way down to the identity level. Am I worthy? I would say in about 40% of my clients, we eventually drop down to the deepest level, which is our worthiness level. And although I'm not a very religious person, the phrase, you are a child of God, Everyone is a child of God and is worthy. When I say that, I can feel the emotion. So if, if I invite those people to take that phrase and say, I am worthy, now we can start building up to new behaviors that match that worthiness. That's good. Thank you. Earlier on, you mentioned culture. You talked about culture and how culture affects our behaviors and how mm -hmm. it also shapes our perspective. You made reference to the American culture. Um, even here in Africa, in Nigeria, I can also identify with a similar culture and how it has framed our mentality and the way we value and value money. Um, yeah, the American system, the American culture is quite more advanced than ours 
I'm <laughs> not sure, but <laughs> yeah, of course, definitely, yeah. And um, but still on the fundamental level, there is something that still cuts across both cultures. In Nigeria, we have the issue of greed. You know, you have people who want to make it, want to get rich at all costs, and that's something that has also affected a lot of things, a lot of people's mm-hmm. drive. Yeah, you, you still have people on the other hand too, like who are also very religious, you know, who feel that um, you know, accumulating too much wealth, it's um not really good, it's sinful. You know, yes. they have the thing, yeah. Yes. So uh, how does our culture how does it affect our rapport with money? Okay, so I reframe money because what you pointed out is really important. That, you know, if we have on the, I was brought up very religious. Um, money is the root of all evil. All evil, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and in our culture currently in America, the way our universities teach is that, you know, there's a wide gap between the rich and the poor, and the rich have more money than they deserve, and there's only so much money to go around. So money has all these emotional attachments to it. Great. And to try to, uh, unplug those is a challenge. So yes. what I do is I reframe money. I call it a certificate of appreciation. What that means is if you, Mr. Williamson, were to do a yes. service for me, yes. and I was to give you some certificates of appreciation, yes. that means the service you give to me is worth more than the certificates of appreciation Appreciation. I give to you. If, you know, I do a service for you, and you say, Rich, I really appreciate that, here is my certificates of appreciation. Now, that, of course, means we're honest, uh, our transactions are transparent, and I'm delivering value to you. If we do those things, then that becomes... A certificate of pre- of appreciation and not money. Yeah. Now, here's the real radical thing that most Americans will go, oh, you can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I know I can say it to you because we're friends, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of course. Definitely. We're friends. Yeah. The more certificates of appreciation you collect, the more value you deliver to the world. So wealthy people who have done so honestly and delivered value, have delivered more value than the people who complain about wealthy people are evil. Now, we also need to recognize there are people like in the United States, like Martin Luther King, who delivers a tremendous amount of cultural value and spiritual values. And there's mothers who love their babies and fathers who take their responsibility. Tremendous of value that has delivered that has nothing to do with money. So I'm not uh, denigrating that. I'm just saying if you are in the commercial world and that's what your calling is, the more certificates of appreciation you collect, the more value you have delivered and we can honor those people. Interesting. And that, that honestly, that's a very um, interesting pa- perspective. You know, before having this conversation with you, I have never looked at it that way. And, mm-hmm. and that's the 
good thing about having these kinds of conversation to, you know, help us have a mental shift to help us uh, drop some negative thoughts and perspectives that we have. You, you mentioned delivering value. Mm-hmm. Your, your, yeah, and your book suggests a shift from making money to delivering value, like you said. Right. Why is that? A lot of us, most of us around the world, we have what I call a hole in the heart. That means we maybe didn't get enough from our parenting. We don't experience enough love. Um, Some people were badly abused as childhood. Some people, because of racial animosity, they've experienced just a lot of trauma. And so we want to fill that. Some people fill it with drugs and check out. Some people like alcohol, gambling. So there's a lot of ways you we can try to fill that empty spot. And some of us do it with trying to collect money. So we're not about delivering value. Now, we have to sometimes deliver value to get the money. But our primary focus is more money so I can have a trophy spouse, a yacht, a fancy car, a fancy mansion, so I can I show everyone what an important and valuable person I am. Yeah. <laughs> so if we're using money to fill that empty spot in our heart, uh, then we lose some meaning in life. If we're looking at larger spiritual values, we're trying to fill something that can't be filled, just like uh, drugs, gambling, sex, or any other uh, addiction that is used to to fill an emptiness in our spiritual life. Good. Good. And hey, guys, if you're listening to this episode and you have not read Richard Friesen's book, A Private Conversation with Money, you're missing a lot. You're missing on very vital information that could definitely reframe your mind and change your thinking towards money towards delivering value and that is something that is very important um information that we get to acquire at this time uh, there is this three chair exercise that you mentioned what is the mm-hmm. three chair exercise uh, that makes dramatic shifts yeah so in my work as a therapist and with coaching groups We have a lot of voices that we've quarantined and pushed down because they're associated with pain and we don't want to deal with them. So a lot of our beliefs and our attitudes about money, we don't even recognize. So in my office, I will set up three chairs all facing each other in a triangle. And I have the client sit in one chair and I have them bring with them a representation of money. Some people bring $100 bills, some people bring gold, other people will bring a brokerage or financial statement that represents money to them. And I'll have them talk to money. Some people will say, oh, money, I love you so much, I want you closer, I want more of you. Uh, Other people will be, you leave me, you just don't stay around, you'll give me something and then you go away, I'm so angry at you. (laughs) So, all sorts of different attitudes. 
But then, and this is what's important, I have them sit in the chair and become the voice of money. From there, they'll say, hmm, I, why should I hang around you? You hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I do come close, you just throw me away. You don't invest me properly. Yeah. Oh, I do, um, or it could be, I do want to be closer to you, but you're just dreaming. You just dream about money. You have a vision board about all the things you want to buy, but you're not delivering value. So let's talk about that. So then we have them sit in the third chair, which is the neutral observer, and say, what do you notice about this conversation? And then they can evaluate, like being almost a marriage counselor, they can evaluate what is the process going on between those two. And sometimes that is so revealing that people go, wow. <laughs> and things change the next day. Yes. Good. Um I want to I want you to talk about the golden keys. Um, what are the golden keys and what doors do they open? Yeah, this is what we start with, and this is an important question. And that is first awareness. How can we change if we're not aware of what's going on? So we start really simply. In fact, you could do this right now. In fact, let's do this. Let's just become aware of what's going on in our face, on all the facial muscles, facial muscles. I'm checking mine. Let's check. Let's go down, check our breathing. Mine's a little shallow. I'm going to take a deeper breath. My shoulders are tight. I'm going to loosen them and relax and take my arms down. My abdomen, okay, that's all right. My legs, little right legs bouncing up and down. I'm going to just take a breath and relax it. So what we've just done is we've brought physical sensations to awareness. I mean, they were all there. We just, you know, we just cut them off at the head. <laughs> Next then we do, that's with S for SET scores. Next is emotions. What am I feeling right now? So let's, I'll just do a check-in, what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling very comfortable with you, Mr. Williamson. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling happy, I'm feeling comfortable, and I'm feeling easy. Other times it might be, ooh, I'm feeling a little tense, or I'm a little worried about this, or I'm trying to make this conversation happen, you know, all sorts of emotions I can have. And then I look at the quality of my thoughts. Are my thoughts uh, judgmental? Are they critical? Are they loving? Are they constantly questioning what I do? So we have our sensations, our emotions, and our thoughts. And we call it our set scores. And we have an application that helps uh, measure those. But as soon as you become aware, then you can go to the next step. And this is a real challenge for a lot of people, and that's acceptance. If I discover things and I say, oh, Rich, you idiot. <laughs> Why are you thinking that? That's stupid. Stop thinking that. <laughs> yeah. So if we're going to judge what we discover, uh, well, that's not very helpful. So the next step is acceptance. Can I do an awareness of what's going on and then can I accept it? And the next step is agency. Can I make choices about my physiology, my emotions, my thoughts. Can I accept them as they are? And then can I make choices? And from that, then we can ask, 
Where, what do I want? Where do I want to go from here? But if we're doing it without that experience, we're just going to repeat the old neurological patterns in our brain and wake up the next day and say, oh, oh why did I do that? I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I really like the work you are doing, um, building a money positive community. And you are using this medium to reframe our relationship with money mm -hmm. so that it honors our values. And it's so important we have this new mindset because that's the one thing we that can make us feel better in these times and stay on track to our goals. Um, one thing that that is at the core of your book, Certificates of Appreciation, you mm -hmm. um, talked a little bit about it um, during the course of our conversation. Certificates of Appreciation are at the core of your book. Why, mm -hmm. why is that? Well, that's what we brought up before is that yeah. we live in a certain context and let's say the context comes from our parents arguing about money money is a source of evil wealthy people are bad in that context then we grow up with social justice uh, equity everyone should have the same amount you grew up with all that and that is a context and once you're in that context you then filter all the other things coming in so my job is to reframe that. And the easiest way is to rename money. So we're not just triggered to go back to that. And another part of that stepping into a new context is our community. Do we live in a money positive community? For example, I have wealth workshops where people attend. And it's a money positive community. You talk about the issues you have and the progress that you've made. And we cheer. Yeah. Now, imagine that you're in a money negative community. And you go and talk about, I really made some progress. I made some new sales. I got a new job. I asked for a raise and got it. I'm saving money. I'm not just spending it on, you know, drunken orgies in the weekends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people go, oh. And you don't get that support. If people are negative about your success because they might be jealous or they have all the old context beliefs uh, how hard is it going to be because we're, we're tribal animals and if we are excommunicated from our tribe our brain says you're going to die because you know like when men and women you know we are humans evolved on the savannas of Africa if you were excommunicated from a tribe, that almost meant death. But our neurology, our brains still operate the same way. So one of the things we do is how can we step in to a money positive community where you can excel, bring it to us, and where we can celebrate your victories? Okay. Can you hear me? Um, say again? Yeah, okay, you can hear me? I lost yeah. you a bit. Okay. okay. All right. So, yeah. So, um, you you called money the canary in the mine shaft. Mm-hmm. Why, well, why is money the canary in the mine shaft? Okay, so let's say we're going to create equity and money. Everybody has, we're going to exaggerate here. Everybody has the same amount. What that canary says is we're losing our personal freedom. Money is a symbol of personal freedom. 
of hope for the future. Yeah. Of that I can save for my family, my kids, my grandkids. I can create a better world for them. If I have hope for the future and I know my resources and money are mine, then I can invest for the long term, which will help humanity. If money is constricted, redistributed, controlled, what is my motivation? All of a sudden it changes. It's how can I get mine right now because we have somebody else controlling money. So yeah. money is the canary in the mine shaft. It is an indicator of personal freedom, our motivation, our meaning in life. It's just now money isn't meaning, but it's a symbol of how we live our lives and our agency and the meaning we can create. So do you think we when we sometimes we lose money and when we lose wealth, do you think we lose anything with it? What do you think we lose with wealth? Yeah, well, this is something that almost nobody asks. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah. In other words, everyone thinks, oh, if I'm rich, it'll solve all my problems. My problems Everything will. Yeah. yeah, it'll it'll just be wonderful. And so then I ask the question with wealth, what will you lose? Oh, I won't lose anything. It'll be wonderful. Everything will be great. Okay. So what will you lose? Oh, no, it'll be wonderful. And when, when we finally get down to it, uh, some people who live in a very tight family community says, I'll lose my family because all of a sudden I won't be part of their belief system. Other people say, oh, I'm afraid I'll lose my religion or my relationship to God. Yes. Other people say, oh, I might become an asshole. Other people might say, oh, all the accounting, taking care of all this stuff. You know, people will try to rob me. You know, financial advisors will try to screw me. Oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. So if, we, in fact, we can look at what we are afraid of with wealth. You know, for example, in America, uh, I don't know how it is there, but we have lotteries. And most of the lottery winners who win millions of dollars return to their original net worth in a few years. Yes. Football players here who make tens of millions of dollars don't have enough money to retire. And that's because we're not used to wealth. And our brains are just... You know, if, if we don't have the identity, we don't have the beliefs, we don't have the knowledge and skills to handle money, it then becomes a very fearful process and will actually sabotage it. Very interesting conversation with you, Richard. Um, one sad thing about these podcasts is that episodes have to come to an end and, <laughs> uh, and oh, you definitely have other items on your schedule if not honestly i would have loved to have this conversation go on and on for so long reading your book has already enabled me to have this deep dive into the psychology of money and i highly recommend it to those listening i highly recommend it to anyone in fact friends and co-workers I've actually already recommended your book to them. A Private Conversation with Money. It's not just a book. It is, um, it is a path through engaging reward exercises, relatable life experiences, and a place where you can discover how to align your values with 
um i really encourage everyone to get a copy of the book and i trust and trust me you will say thank you for for it and you're welcome in advance for that thank you very much richard Frizin. i am i am very glad that you made that time to have this conversation <laughs> with us. i am too and i so appreciate you bringing up what's really important you asked the hard questions but you asked okay. the right hard questions so thank you very much this was a very comfortable, easygoing, wonderful experience for me too. So keep it up. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And I, I do hope to have you on the show again some other time. Okay. You take care and have a most wonderful day. All right. You too. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah.